Hello, this is your host, Dr. Casey Bradley, and welcome to Pig Progress's The Real P3 Podcast, a podcast dedicated to the producers around the world. Everywhere you look, there's discussions around utilizing data, big data, machine learning, modeling. But what does that all mean? How can we use them to our advantage? Well, that's exactly what we're going to discuss with recent graduate Chantelle Pennycott from South Africa. She's a technical manager for Bainesfields Research Center. So stay tuned. Well, hello, Chantelle. How are you doing today? I'm really well, thanks. And you, Casey, thank you for having me on this podcast. I've listened to so many, so it's really exciting to, to be a part of it. Well, thank you. Would you mind telling the audience a little bit about yourself? Yeah, sure. So my name is Chantal Pennycott. I live in South Africa. I did a BSc Agric Animal Science at the University of Pretoria. And then I did a master's in pig simulation modeling and nutrition. Just felt like a natural choice for me. And I've really, really enjoyed it. Um, I did my master's at the Bainesfield Swine Research Unit. I liked it enough that I stuck around. And now I'm the research and piggery technical supervisor which is quite challenging, um, but I really, really enjoy it. So that's where I'm at now. In case you want to learn more about Bainesfield, you can check out Miles's uh, episode that we had last year on the Real P3. But today we're talking about modeling and pig simulation. There's a lot of discussion around using data, big data, machine learning, and that kind of stuff to help us make better decisions. And I hear a lot from the producers is how can they mitigate risk? And I'm going to ask you a question, Chantel. Is modeling the right approach to mitigating risk in the swine industry? Yeah, I think it is part of the answer. I don't think it is all of the answer because there are so many different types of models and they're all based on on theories and some of them can be contradictory. So you really have to find one and that is well-researched and well-validated. So, so many trials have been done to validate it. It's really about putting the right inputs into the model and, and finding um, the right objective that fits your farm because a lot of farmers focus on feed efficiency or just gains, and that already only gives you part of the answer. So the model will give you the scenario that you need to achieve that, but in the long run, that doesn't take economics into account. So, so yes, models will help you find the answer to that question, but it may not be the the right answer to the success of the economics of your farm. So yeah, you really, really have to um know know which objective to use. If I may go off course a little bit, but I believe that the, the best objective to predict the profitability of your farm is margin of a fee cost because that takes both the pig effect and the feed effect as well as the market effect into account because it's the difference between your revenue, which is your your carcass and your current market or your economic scenario, and your cost of feeding, which is your, your feed intake, so the effect of your feed and how much your pig is eating as well as the cost of your raw materials. So you really can't just take feed efficiency into account. And I've run so many trials at the research unit that has shown again and again that feed efficiency or the highest gains treatments may not necessarily bring you the highest profit. So yeah, I think models are really good at at predicting outcomes. But yeah, you really gotta 
know what you're doing. <laughs> well, for those who aren't as familiar with modeling, let's go into your model. Tell us what you've done with your model. How did you develop it? What's, you know, walk us through that process. So I work with the EFG pig model and optimizer. So EFG comes from the three men that developed the model. It's Emmons, Fisher, and Host. And my master's was based on validating the model specifically for pigs. Uh, There are many other parts to the model with poultry and other animals. But uh, yeah, they really wanted to develop pigs further. And that was my job. And what we basically did, well, first I'll explain how how the model works, is it predicts what the pigs are going to eat based on their first limiting nutrient or energy. And it also accurately describes the animal's genetics um, using the Gompertz equation. And for people who aren't familiar with that, it basically describes how the pigs are going to grow, so how fat they're going to be, at what age they're going to be, that fatness, so their rate of maturing, and then their weight at maturity. And it also describes the feed and the environment that the animal is in. And all of that predicts um, the animal's actual feed intake, and which is based on the animal's requirements. From that, it can predict your carcass or the amount of nitrogen that will be in the feces Um, and all of that. So yeah, I basically just ran some trials and wanted to see if what it predicted actually was the outcome. And what's really cool about this model is that the roles can be reversed and it can also be an optimizer where you choose your desired objective, whatever that may be for the specific farm. And from that, you can find the best feeding schedule for that farm or your optimum amino acids energy ratio. And when I say optimum, it doesn't mean maximum. Maximum growth is not optimum growth because maximum growth is probably expensive growth. So yeah, it's just, there's a lot of parts to it and it was really cool to familiarize myself with it and and work with such amazing people on it. Well, that's awesome that you've been able to validate this trial and give us a couple scenarios on your research, like let's take a, we're going into summertime here in the U S I know you guys are going into winter in South Africa, but when we look at heat stress and in the market conditions, we look at energy costs today and we look at that. We're going to be a slower gaining pig. We usually lose about 10 pounds of carcass weight or five kilograms for your case here in the U S how would you kind of walk us through and the market conditions with high feed costs, high market costs, though, I mean, pigs are worth pretty good money at the moment. How would you walk that through and based on your work on this model and kind of make some suggestions or recommendations to producers in the, in the Northern Hemisphere? Yeah, so we actually um, ran some trials based on different economic scenarios and the outcomes were, were pretty surprising and interesting. So we put all of those inputs into the model, what the, the market um, is currently doing, so your feed prices and your pork prices. And what I decided to do was maximize margin of a feed cost. And it actually gave me three different feeds that was able to do that in that economic scenario. It basically predicted the change in the animal's feed intake. So it gave a really high nutrient-dense feed so that it knew that that would be a more expensive feed, but because the animal's feed intake was lower, that would be okay. And then 
with the high feed ingredient prices, it gave a more lower nutrient dense feed because the animal ate more of it. The animal didn't grow as well, but the high feed prices didn't eat as much, but it didn't grow as well. And then with the okay um, pork prices, it was still okay because the difference between the revenue and the cost of feeding, it still ended up being profitable. And then it also showed that we really needed to focus on balancing our amino acids energy ratio because you can have a very expensive or a very cheap feed. But if you're, when I say cheap feed, I mean a high fiber, high fiber feed. It's really important to balance your amino acid ratios because even if that energy is available, no matter where that pig is getting the energy from, it really needs that balance of amino acids to, to build obviously for protein synthesis. So it really showed us how we can achieve profitable gains through different avenues. And I found that really interesting because it proves that these modern genetic pigs are capable, firstly, of eating high bulk diets, whether it's summer or winter, which we were really surprised about. We thought that would limit them but also that they were able to adapt their feed intake and still maintain throughout the three completely different diets their, their really good carcass characteristics, really good grading. So without the model, I mean, we didn't think that that would happen. So it was, it was quite interesting to see that the model predicted that correctly. Very interesting. What do you think is the future of modeling in machine learning? So the future of modeling, um, I think it's, we need more and more trials. It would be really nice for people to believe in models more and, and want to do more trials to validate these models because market, as we all know, is becoming more and more volatile with, and it's the margin that we're making from our pigs is becoming lower and lower. So I think models will give farmers the competitive advantage of the now decision-making for the now answers because we don't want to wait and see what changing feed ingredients or byproducts is going to do, or the market is changing so fast. Often we're able to predict what the pork price is going to be. So how do we feed our pigs in three months or how um, should we have fed them? So yeah, I think it, it really helps farmers make quicker decisions. And I think that's so important with the market continuously changing. Well, thank you, Chantel, and congratulations on finishing your degree. I'm going to take you over a little bit more on your day-to-day job. What are some of the main challenges as the technical manager at Bainesville for you on a regular basis in in pork production? Challenges on a day-to-day basis? I think we all know that pig farming is more of a people problem than a pig problem. So I would say day-to-day challenges is just getting everyone to communicate and cooperate and work efficiently um, and also understanding why they're doing their job and the importance of their job. And it doesn't matter what level they are within the working force, everyone is equally important. So what I find difficult is helping people see their importance and the importance of their job and taking it seriously so that we can all work efficiently. What else have you been researching at Bainesfield? Kind of talk us through that research facility a little bit more and and what are your capabilities and what have you guys been focusing on for your production system? 
The purpose of the, the research facility, first of all, it's a grove finisher unit that is capable of taking 528 grove finisher pigs. And uh, we have 48 pens so, and six treatments. So the data is, is really strong in terms of that. And we really want to focus on um, applied research and research that we can apply economically so that it's relevant to farmers now and not just collecting data and the data sitting in the computer and nothing ever happens from it. So what we really like to do is to answer uh, really pressing questions like, what is the optimum amino acid to energy ratio depending on the seasons? And how do we feed pigs when the pork price is really low or the pork price is really good? So yeah, I use the model to do those things. And then we do a lot of dose response trials, which we found really successful. And I think that's the general direction we're going in is um, like protein response trials or the one we did was a, a copper dose response trial. Because although copper is included in the diet in such a small quantity, it's a micronutrient but it contributes to such a large portion of the premix price. So it has a great economic effect. So we, we really wanted to get some information about that. And pigs' requirements for copper is so much lower than what is, what is average um, that is recommended. So it's almost at a toxic level that we're feeding pigs at. And I know that Europe's really lowered the or limited the amount of copper that can be fed. So it's only with time that it'll come here to South Africa. So I think it's... The research unit really wants to better prepare for what is to come and and not just be surprised with it. So, yeah, there's um, also other trials that we've done is a really hot topic at the moment is uh, gut health. And I think that's really important because gut is the gear that drives the pig and you can have the best feed and the best management, the best housing. But if your pigs are not happy, they won't grow well. So. As from 2022, Pig Progress is proud to be teaming up with The Real P3 Podcast. Professionals from around the globe already knew how to find Pig Progress as a reliable source of global and exclusive pig information through our website, newsletter, magazine, social media and webinars. And now, in its 38th year of existence, there is no escaping. Your favorite pig media is prominently present in audio form as well. Find out more to access all podcast episodes and register for a free newsletter to www.pigprogress.net. So you mentioned in your model and, and found out higher fiber diets and you were really surprised with either, a, you know, a bulk diet or a higher fiber, how the pigs still excelled on those. Walk us through your thoughts on how to utilize fiber. So what I think with fiber, um, what's really important is the, there are many different types of fiber. So, so knowing the types of fiber and where, where the, the pros and cons for each of them lie. And I think it's a really nice ingredient to include because it's, it's one of your more cost-effective ingredients. And it's also so important for the pig health and the gut health because although pigs are not ruminants, they really do well on fiber fermentation and and also fiber in wiener diets even I'm, I'm talking about growers here but even in wiener diets it's really so important for gut health so I don't think that fiber just helped towards 
growth through energy and things like that, I think it also helped towards growth because the pigs were healthier and happier. Now, in your modeling or research experience, have you found feeding higher fiber diets and feeder space to ever be an issue or how do you take those into account? Obviously, they need to eat more to to maintain their growth. And does your model or anything you've looked at look at feeder space or anything like that? Yes, actually, the, the EFG pig model does take into account feeder space or it actually takes into account your stocking density and then how you include, um, it doesn't necessarily take the, it doesn't have the word feeder space in it, but you had stresses in it. So you can have limited water supply or or bullying and, and things like that. So you can increase the level of that and that takes that into account. So it would calculate maybe the amount of time that the pig has available. So I think there is a limit to the amount of fiber that you can include in the diet. We haven't found that, that limit yet. Um, and I mean, we've included wheat bran up to levels of of over 20% in in grower pigs and that's that's extremely high 25% and they actually cope really well. Yeah, it'd be really interesting to try different types of fibers and also different seasons as well just to find that limit and we really haven't found it yet so that's very surprising. So for those who do do not know about South Africa, what are all the types of feed ingredients that you use in your diets today? The main ingredients in South African diet, and I think it's the same in the US, is maize or corn that we use as our, our main energy contributor. But because we include it in such high quantities, grower diets, well over 60%, it also contributes a lot towards protein content of the diet. But we also include things like soy and soy prices become so, so expensive. A lot of Farmers are looking towards other byproducts, such as distillers grains. That's a a hot thing on the market at the moment. We also include a lot of farmers like sunflower. They believe that it's, it's, it's really good fiber and it contributes to pig health. And then other things like wheat bran as a bulker. And that's what I was talking about. We included wheat bran over 20%. So that's a really cheap ingredient and the pigs did well. And then, yeah, just your, obviously your synthetic amino acids and other things like that. But it's basically four or five main ingredients. So it's quite a simple diet. Simple, but yet still kind of looking at a byproduct future for South Africa. Yeah. So byproducts and, and people are looking for alternatives. Interesting. And, and also reducing, reducing crude protein is quite a hot topic at the moment as well. What is the future for South Africa pork industry, nutrition, and maybe even your future, if you want to close off with that? The future of um, the pork industry in South Africa. So with all the um, markets going up and down at the moment, it's actually the lowest our pork prices have ever been. Um, It's even lower than chicken. And we've had the highest feed prices we've ever had. So Really now is the time that we really need to innovate and and look into alternatives, um, look into different ways of feeding and, and really how we manage these pigs. So I think um, the future of, of South African pork farming is definitely going to change. And I think it has to change in order to remain profitable. There's so many pig farms closing around us at the moment. So yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see where the future of byproducts and all of that goes and lowering crude protein and the inclusion of fiber. 
as for my future, I really um, enjoy all the research and I really want to stay in research. I feel like that's where I will have the biggest impact on the pork industry. And I think there's so many improvements that can be made and we really aren't even close to answering all the questions. And the more questions we answer, the more questions we get. So I really enjoy that side of the job. So definitely want to stay in the research sector. Well, awesome, Chantel. And as always, I give my guests the opportunity to turn the table and ask me a question. So you're really good with people. And I feel that farming is more about people than about pigs most of the time. So what can we do to show old school farmers or um, farmers that are are stuck in in their ways of of this works and and that's that's all that that we need? How do we show them that we need these new types of technologies and we need to be innovative in order to advance in the agricultural industry? Because it's so difficult for me to convince farmers, even when I have the research and I have the data showing that something works, they still are skeptical. So how can I get get them to see that we really, really need to move forward with, with new technology? That's a million dollar question there, Chantel. I've been (laughs) wondering the same thing. I understand your perspective of being young and new ideas and new things is hard to change. And and maybe South Africa is a little bit behind, at least from the U.S. perspective. You still have a lot of independent producers. We, We tend to have a more of an integrated system here where we constantly look at data and and that kind of stuff to make decisions. I think, you know, we still have to have the data. The biggest challenge I see from utilizing technology to convince producers to make the change is that we're using today's economics, we're using today's ROIs, and we don't always understand the true benefits that a technology will bring to the culture. Um, You talked about efficiency of man hours, and that was something even 20 years ago that was a main driver by my company that I worked for, you know, asking me to have those man hours, limiting my man hours. And most of the employees I had saw the overtime as a potential to earn more money. And, you know, I think we have to find technologies that will turn the culture to for the employee. And there's been different modeling and, and work done out there by Summit Smart Farms and the mashoffs looking at employee retention as a key economic driver and, and per wean pig, for instance. So there are advantages of retaining talent and keeping people in. But we also have to have to have that mindset that we continuously look for improvements. And traditionally that hasn't been into technologies, but I can even use the example of when I first started out as a nutritionist a little over 10 years ago, I was uh, discussing my experiences using canola and um, different like bakery and different byproducts that you spoke of in my diets to help my pigs grow. And I had a nutritionist say, why would I pay to transport those ingredients into my area when I have all the corn and soybean meal that I need? And it's just, you know, that mindset there, even in in nutrition, as you talked about looking at fiber and, and now we're looking at byproducts, we're looking at cost of energy and you look at some of those things, these technologies that even, you know, 10 years ago, I had pushed back for something we're considering. And I think the right economic times, the producers who are a little more open-minded and ahead of the curve on innovation 
will probably be the ones that survive and, and the other ones who decide not to change won't be in business. So I think some of that will take care of itself, but it's really ultimately you got to keep trying. You got to present it in different ways. You got to keep looking at opportunities. You also have to understand it from their point of view is when we talk about risk, we look at, especially to me, the independent farmer, they're sometimes more risk averse because they have a lot more to lose. So, you know, that farm's been in their family for generation after generation. And it's really hard to step out and want to make a risk when you know you may lose that land if something goes wrong, that you could lose that, you know, the land, that farm, that heritage that you have. And that's something we can't get um, from not being born in it as well. So, you know, I think it's going to be a tough dynamic of how do we bring in people who don't understand the ownership into the industry and and how do we motivate them? And then how do we balance that with, you know, that risk aversion and things like that? So it's going to be a tough challenge. I think the younger generation, I'm, I'm pretty optimistic. They're techies. I think you'll see that as that generation changes occur a little bit more in, in 10 years or so. But you got to just keep trying. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And I think that now is is probably more than ever is the best time to start changes. And whether the changes are small or big, I really think that that the pig worldwide market is is really pushing for change and it really needs change in order to survive. So I think it may happen naturally and, and people who are more um, scared or not, um, they're more nervous of changing I think that they yeah will either see the success of other people changing or be forced to do so in order to survive so I definitely agree with what you're saying so there's one other point you mentioned about putting data in the drawer I can tell you that I worked at companies that have drawers full of data and I challenged them all to go back and look at that data and put today's economic standards on that and really see if there's some benefits to these different technologies yeah, for sure. I see that all the time. Just people collecting data and and not validating the data. In other words, they they either manipulating the data to to fit how they want it to fit. So that's not really true data, or they they're not collecting the data in such a way that makes it an accurate accurate data. And then they don't get the outcome that they want, and then they put it in a drawer. But if they look at it in a different way, I really think that that is the answer to um, so many problems that we have. And there's just so much data out there that hasn't been used. And also, I really think that we need to look at trials that are more towards applied research and and not so much just... Theoretical or basic. Yes, yeah, exactly. And and repetitive trials, there's so many trials for for one thing and, and so few trials for other things. Yeah, I really think that there's so much data, um, in other words, and and we really um, have the power to use it. And da- data is the most powerful, powerful thing we have. Well, thank you, Chantel. It's been a pleasure to have you on the Real P3. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed it. I hope you learned something and you were impressed by Chantel. I've had the opportunity to mentor her for the last couple of years throughout her degree program from a distance, and I'm excited to see what she does for the swine industry. And as always, if you get a chance today, hug a pig for me.